and then as you had indicated, the you know the lifestyle, the the one and done. Uh, when when I saw a lot of successful people making very good money in this business, buying leads on a weekly basis, setting appointments on Monday and Tuesday from the com- or on on making the appointments on Monday from the comfort of their home, running appointments on all day Tuesday on the hour. Uh, maybe a little overflow on on Wednesday if they didn't meet their goals on Tuesday. A little bit of paperwork on Thursday and having a three day week and making a very good living. I don't know of many people who wouldn't want that. Plan to fail so you won't. Production will solve all your problems. Some will, some won't. Stop whining, so what? Just hit your weekly production goal. The weekend starts now. Our podcast this week is sponsored by First Trinity Financial Corporation. First Trinity Financial Corporation is an insurance holding company based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. First Trinity Financial Corporation operates two life insurance companies, Trinity Life Insurance Company in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Family Benefit Life Insurance Company in Jefferson City, Missouri. First Trinity Financial Corporation's insurance operations began back in early 2007, marketing one product in the state of Oklahoma. In 2008, First Trinity Financial Corporation acquired First Life America Corporation, a Kansas-based life insurer. First Life America Corporation offered both traditional life insurance and fixed annuity products in eight states. In 2009, First Life America was redomesticated to Oklahoma and merged with Trinity Life Insurance Company. In 2011, Trinity Life Insurance acquired Family Benefit Life Insurance Company, a 47-year-old life insurance company in Jefferson City, Missouri. At the time of its acquisition, Family Benefit Life Insurance was licensed in seven states. Trinity Life Insurance Company and Family Benefit Life Insurance Company offer a wide variety of whole life, final expense, term life, and fixed annuity products. Since inception, First Trinity Financial Corporation's insurance operations have grown from a single state operation to 26 states. As of December 31, 2016, total consolidated assets were $33,252,613. Statutory premium income reached $67,582,206, and shareholder equity was $36,280,000. For additional information on the life insurance products and annuities offered by Trinity Life Insurance Company and Family Benefit Life Insurance Company, go to their websites, www.trinitylifeinsurance.com and www.familybenefitlife.com. Our podcast this week is with Alvin Bengnosh. Alvin started his insurance career in 1998 as an independent life insurance agent and is currently marketing vice president of Trinity Life and Family Benefit Life Insurance Companies. He holds a Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration in Marketing Management from Kansas State University and has earned his Chartered Life Underwriter, CLU, and Chartered Financial Consultant, CHFC, designations. Welcome, Alvin Bengnosh. Okay, so um, how does the story go after college? Um, you graduated with your with your degrees. Uh, what what's next? 
Well, after when I first graduated college, I went to work for a subsidiary of Archer Daniel Midland in the, in the grain business. Growing up in a farming community, it was kind of uh, a niche, what I knew. And then I got tired of eating dirt. I figured, well, I didn't go to college to eat dirt. So I got out and decided I wanted to get out of the grain industry. And believe it or not, actually, I answered a newspaper ad. And what the newspaper ad was for was there was a financial holding company uh, trying to be built in the state of Kansas. And what they were doing is they were looking for individuals who would basically kind of go door to door uh, selling stock to help capitalize a life insurance company. So I answered the, new, I answered the newspaper ad and um, don't know if it was uh, smart on their part or not, but they actually offered me a, a position. It was a commission job. And so I didn't. Uh, I should say a good a little, Christian name, maybe. No, Catholic. Yeah. I grew up in a little French community uh, south of the big town of Clyde, Kansas, called St. Joe. Well, there and, you go. Um, <laughs> it's about, I'm just trying to think. I mean, it's matter of fact, um, some of the people ended up leaving that community and went and formed uh, a church and farming community. I'm thinking of the town west of Plainville. Let's see. Just west of Plainville is um, Piper. No, that's south. Um, well, oh gosh. I used to drive through it all the time when I worked out in your guys' area. Yes. But anyway, yeah, so, yeah. So this community, I mean, it's there was Codell. a dad, it was Codell. Yeah, it's not quite oh. the one I was thinking of. Okay, I'm trying to then further west. But but you kind of get the idea, you know. In the, uh, you know, half of the probably a third of the size of Shin Shin, if that tells you how small it is, because. Yeah. Uh, there was my dad's welding shop, a mechanic shop, of ten houses, and a beer joint. <laughs> Good old Catholics, we've got to have a beer joint for every ten houses. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Well, uh, this morning we're we're basically just talking about you, so um, hopefully that's not a not too difficult for you. But uh, well, yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the longer uh, answers you have, the better they are. Any uh, stories that you want to tell is great. Um, is there anything that you do not want to talk about? Um, no, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I okay. mean, I, I presume. So these podcasts, you guys just do them on your website? Where, uh, where are they being used at? They'll be public. Um, we're going to throw them out on iTunes. So um, I don't know how many people want to listen to a, a, an insurance podcast, but uh, I guess many. we're going to find out. Not many. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, hopefully we have a little bit uh, broader questions and answers and things to that apply to uh, everyday life. But uh, if there's anything you come across and you just want to pass and, and we can pick it up some other time. But uh, okay. uh, is there anything that you definitely do want to talk about? Like, hey, remind me to tell the story about blank. Not really. I don't know any of those off the top of my head either, Tucker <laughs> and right. Jim. You know, we'll just kind of wing it, play it by ear. I presume I'll have the opportunity to give my approval before it goes live. All right. Let's and, you'll be, and you'll be doing a lot of editing. Is that correct? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. well, I can hang up the phone now. <laughs> we'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into it. We'll start with a, a non-trivial question, I guess. So uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I normally do not eat breakfast on the weekdays. Awesome. Do you drink coffee? I drink too much coffee. <laughs> um a lot of times when I'm sitting here in the office, that's one of the first things I do is I go to the coffee pot, and then about halfway through the day, one of my assistants say, do you need more coffee? And and uh, they make another pot. So that is 
one of my vices. So what do you eat on the weekends? And if you don't eat breakfast on the weekdays, what do you do on the weekends? Well, on the weekends, um, yeah, I, I get up and actually I make breakfast. And, and what I find interesting is, is by the time the plates hit the table, my wife mysteriously uh, awakens out of bed, <laughs> comes into the kitchen and goes, hey, do you need help with anything? Uh, we also entertain a lot on the weekends, so we have, we'll have company at our house. And uh, known for making a few different things, what I call like a breakfast scramble. It's just the sausage and eggs and a lot of cheese and uh, potatoes all in a cooked together in a cast iron skillet. And the other thing we make a lot of is breakfast peeps. Just take a regular breakfast crust that you buy at the grocery store, then make some gravy and use that as the sauce, and then put some scrambled eggs and bacon and sausage mixture and top it with a lot of cheese and Sounds everybody should like that. I'm sold. I need to come. <laughs> yeah. We're coming to Tulsa. <laughs> um, how do you take your coffee? Plain. Black. Love it. Yep. Yeah. Um, helps me go on that way. So nowadays, if um, – Say you're at a cocktail party, not an insurance-related one, or uh, you run into an old uh, buddy from high school or something, and they say, hey, Alvin, I haven't seen you in a while. What are you doing nowadays? How do you answer that? Well, I answer that I, I work for an insurance holding company that we actually own two life insurance companies, and my main responsibilities are what I would describe as uh, overseeing what we call the front end of the home office, anything that touches a consumer, an agent, or a shareholder, uh, that is the uh, department that I am in charge of. So, you know, I mean, as you can imagine, 40,000 policyholders, 1,700 insurance agents, and uh, 4,000 shareholders, there's always a lot, always a lot going on. Somebody always has a problem that needs to be solved. If you take just half of 1% of the 45,000, well, you got about 230 people need a, a problem solved right then and there. So that, that keeps us busy. Um, but it's, it's been a great career. So uh, let's go back to the beginning. You touched on it a little bit, but um, what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Uh, what did your parents do? I, I grew up in a real small little uh, farming community in north central Kansas. My dad... I uh, ran a blacksmith shop, um, and my mother worked for the uh, what we called the USDA back then. It was a Department of Agriculture, um, kind of as a, an office assistant type position. And I have uh, three older siblings, and they're quite a bit older than me, so I, I think I'm kind of a, a little afterthought. Um, but my dad kind of has a, an interesting story. Uh, my dad, at the age of of uh, 14 when he got out of eighth grade, he actually had to drop out of school and kind of kind of become the breadwinner for his family. He had three younger siblings as well, but when he was at a young age, his father became crippled. And so my dad, you know, kind of had to become the man of the family, and um, grandfather had ran like a little small mechanic shop. So my dad had started taking that over and, and working on cars and things of that nature at the age of 14. And I remember his aunts telling me that how devastated my dad was because it sounded like he's a very sharp individual uh, when it came to school and things of that nature. So I guess it crushed him that he go on to school um, with all of his other friends. And then at the age of 18, he got drafted um, by our good old army. 
and went to Locks uh, for two years. Uh, married my mother, who was actually from the same community. Uh, she ended up moving down to Fort Knox with him. And then they moved back to the little community that we were from, and Dad bought a, a little welding machine shop. Just a little one-man sole proprietor thing, all it was and fancy. Uh, we did a lot of repair work on farmers' equipment. And um, then he ended up retiring about, it's probably been about 15, maybe 20 years ago now. He, he retired at the age of 65. He just shut the doors to the shop and um, still has all the tools and equipment and everything there. Um, kind of got a, you know, a little bit bored, so he bought the house next door to him in the little town that we live in, and he gutted it and turned it into a woodworking shop, and that's what he's been doing a hobby for the last um, 15 years. And so my dad, it's always been remarkable for me because the, the story and the upbringing and the, and the things that he had to go through life, being able to provide for his, his family as the sole, prov you know, sole provider, never, you know, always self-employed, um, with an eighth grade education yet put four kids through college. So my hat's off to my dad. That's and awesome. I think that, and I, and I think that that's what's kind of helped uh, keep me with the determination and the motivation um, for the hard work is, is ethic that he instilled in me. Okay. So, um, people that you were calling on, uh, they didn't, there was no set appointments. They didn't know that you were going to be calling on them. They didn't know who you were or anything of that nature. And I started doing fairly well. Uh, in that uh, position um, as, an, as a stock agent. And the company was needing somebody to go out to northwest Kansas to look at hiring and training individuals. So I did. I moved out to northwest Kansas. Uh, fairly easy for me at that time because I had, uh, there was no wife, no children back then at that time. And I started hiring and training some individuals to do what I was doing. And, Built up a, a few successful agents doing that. Then, uh, once that the money was raised to form the holding company, what we did is, is we had cross-trained the agents from selling stock to marketing a product, a life insurance product, that was only really targeted for those shareholders and a few of their acquaintances on a referral basis. So... We then trained the agents to, to do that, and then once that product's life cycle uh, was starting to expire, um, I then had the opportunity to go to work in the home office in Topeka, Kansas. So I moved to the home office in Topeka, Kansas, and we had went through a lot of different culture changes, uh, shift changes, things of that nature. Uh, in a short time frame, I ended up going through two buyers and four different presidents uh, of the insurance companies in about a six-year time frame. It's kind of like that, that book, Who Moved to My Cheese? And then in 2008, uh, on December 23rd, matter of fact, that life insurance company got purchased by a financial holding company out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I stayed in Topeka, Kansas for about another year. And then in 2010, the new owners decided they wanted me to move to the home office in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So after some soul searching, uh, we decided that that would be the, the best thing to do uh, for my wife and I at that time. And so when we moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, it's actually turned out to be a blessed move for us. At that time, when we moved down here, our life insurance company, we were marketing products in about eight states, 
We had about 60 million in assets. We had about 300 agents uh, marketing products for us. Uh, fast forward to today, our company has already grown to over 357 million in assets. We have about 1,700 agents and we're marketing products in a total of 26 states. So it's it's been good uh, for the company um, that I've had the opportunity to grow right along with what I kind of consider from day one. And uh, it's fun being a part of that story. So how, um, my dad said you were an agent. Um, how did that kind of play into your role um, in in understanding the home office? Because I think a lot of times we as agents call the home office and uh, the home office people just don't don't get it. And uh, so I think that's why my dad and I enjoy talking to you so much because you do, you get it. You get where, where we're coming from. Uh, you might talk yeah, you a little bring, bit about that. You bring up a really good point, Tucker. Uh, a lot of your insurance companies do seem to be run by attorneys and accountants these days. And we're probably one of a few, if not an only, that even the founder of our company and, and even I myself as marketing vice president, we actually started our careers as insurance agents. So we do know what an agent, an insurance agent goes through on, on a timely basis. I uh, you know a, lo- a lot of times if an insurance agent, if they call the home office, that person's never been in that agent's shoes. They don't know what they run into and expect with the clients uh, out in the field. You know, different clientele have different types of questions depending upon who that client is. They have different challenges. Um, Somebody sitting in, a, in an office, they get paid whether the piece of business gets issued or not. Uh, as, in, as insurance agents, uh, we get paid on a commission basis. And so I, I think that that helps build the relationship that we have with our agents. Uh, we are not a company who wants to have a relationship uh, or at least a name and a, as an acquaintance with 5,000 agents throughout the country. Uh, we would rather have a good working relationship with uh, fewer agents. We find that to be a nice niche, and uh, it, in my opinion, it helps with the long-term profitability of our company. Uh, for you personally, though, um, how did you kind of reconcile the the drive and the freedom of being self-employed and having to go out and earn that paycheck to, to becoming a home office person that um, – you know, well, isn't on commission. Yeah, the, yeah the, the pasture's always greener on the other side, it seems like. <laughs> um, you know, agents think that, you know, it's nice to have that steady paycheck and the benefits of being included in a, in a home office. Uh, then, you know, once you go to the home office, there are times, Tucker, that I often ask myself, man, I should just go back be becoming an agent again someday because, you know, there's always different trials and tribulations no matter uh, what goals you're trying to pursue in life. And I had an individual uh, here from in Oklahoma. Uh, he came up through the, the ranks in the Oklahoma company when it was being built through its stock offering and insurance phase. And his goal was always to have, uh, you know, a position similar to mine uh, with the, with our company, and uh, we did offer him a position uh, as one of my main assistants here in the home office. And after about four months, he decided it wasn't for him, and and he did decide to go back uh, out into the field and, and become an, an agent. And he's actually building a nice, successful marketing organization. And it you it, it is an interesting question because. There are good and bad to, to both sides. That's for sure. You think about going, you do lose some. 
you think about going back Go out in the field until you talk to Vach, right? And then you go, eh, maybe not. <laughs> you know, Vach is he's got a good lifestyle. He does, uh, but he bitches all the time about it. well, we all do. We all complain about our job, so but anyway. Yeah, but yeah, with uh you know the with with your agency system and setup, uh no, it, it it's a life, it's a very nice lifestyle that you've trained your agents to be able to create for themselves. And you heard me make the comment earlier prior to moving to Tulsa that, you know, we had to do some soul searching of what we wanted to do. And, and Tucker, I think your dad knows this. I don't know if you ever heard, heard this story, but uh, the, the, main, the, the first thing that I was going to look at doing if I did not move down to Tulsa was to go back and become an agent. And then so I asked myself, okay, what would I do? And I had it narrowed down. I'd, I would become a final expense agent. Would I go independent? Would I go captive? I'd, and I had it narrowed down that, well, I would join a marketing. I'd be independent, but join a marketing organization for the camaraderie, training, uh, sharing of information. And of all the marketing organizations that I knew of out there at that time, Tucker, uh, I had it narrowed down that I was going to go with your dad. Okay, so this is interesting. I got to dig into this a little bit more because um, you have a ton of experience over a, a wide variety of um, products and and things like that. So, um, first of all, why final expense? And I mean, I know the answer to why my dad's group, but uh, it's the same reason that most of us are there. And um, another thing that I don't know if my dad told you or not when he reached out to you to do this podcast, but uh, we call this one and done our training system. And it's after, you know, my dad's work week that everybody strives for is that, you know, work one day a week and you're done for the week. So, you know, one and done and hit your goal and go home and and enjoy the rest of the week. And so, um, I'd love to hear you kind of expand on, um, your experience. This, I guess I view it as kind of a huge, um, globe of, of information of, of different products and things, but you know, why would you choose final expense? The basis of that would just be the ease of doing business. Uh, as an agent, I wrote a lot of larger policies as well as the small policies. Uh, the larger policies seem to take forever to get issued, in and out the door, a lot of underwriting. Um, you never knew how the case was going to get issued, if it got issued as the way that the client uh, had priced it to begin with. You know, you'd still be looking at a you know two, three months. Uh, to actually get paid on that case. And the final expense, it's completely different. Uh, in the final expense business, uh, the ease of getting in front of clientele, um, maybe getting a little bit more difficult these days than what it used to be, you know, 10 years ago uh, because of, of lead returns, things of that nature. The instant, in, in most cases, notification of how your client's policy should get issued Getting an application submitted to a company, getting that policy mailed out within three to four business days and getting paid the, within the next couple of business days. And then, as you had indicated, the, you know, the lifestyle, the, the one and done. Uh, when, when I saw a lot of successful people making very good money in this business, buying leads on a weekly basis, Setting appointments on Monday and Tuesday from the com- or on, on making the appointments on Monday from the comfort of their home, running appointments on all day Tuesday on the hour, 
Uh, maybe a little overflow on, on Wednesday if they didn't meet their goals on Tuesday. A little bit of paperwork on Thursday and having a three-day week and making a very good living. I don't know of many people who wouldn't want that. In addition, the insurance business, the greatest thing about it is, is that the cost of getting into the business you know, if you wanted to own your own business, you know, for example, my father, we had talked about earlier in the machine shop. Well, if you were to go and open up and start a new machine shop today, you'd have, you know, tens of thousands, if not into the hundreds of thousands for uh, equipment alone. The nice thing about the insurance business is the more money you want to make when you invest in yourself by buying more leads – it's kind of like the guy who owns the lumber yard. If the, lumber, if the guy in the lumber business wants to sell more lumber, he's got to buy more lumber. And in the insurance business, you can do that by buying more leads. So, again, it has to go with the, the cost of getting in the business and, and the lifestyle. So uh, if we hypothetically took away uh, you can't be an agent and uh, you can't work in the home office, do you have a, uh, a career that you would like to do or – if you couldn't do those things, what would you be doing? That's a good question. I've never thought about it because <laughs> people in our business, we don't retire. We just golf or fish more. <laughs> That's, right. That's a perfect and, answer. And even if I was uh, to go and become an agent someday, I, I, I would still just do it exactly kind of what the way that we had described um, you know, I'll give you an example. I we have some agents that live in the summer in North Dakota and the winter in Arizona. Well, that's the great thing about this business and being an agent. You can set up shop anywhere. So for you, um when did you realize that, you know, this is the thing that I'm going to do, you know, basically forever? Um when did you come to that realization? Uh, yeah, that that's funny because when a teacher asks a little kid in, in first and second grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? I've never heard anybody say, I want to be an insurance man. Tucker and, did. Uh, Tucker, Tucker said that. Tucker did? Yeah, well, he did. He, he had a great role model. <laughs> well, thank but you. But Tucker is a great example just like myself. Everybody in this industry, I shouldn't say everybody, most people when they come into this industry, it's because they know of somebody else who's been successful in the business as well. Whether it be Vach that you had mentioned earlier, knowing Jim, whether it be Tucker growing up, seeing his dad's lifestyle. I myself, I had a brother who was in the, in the insurance business. And so when, when I answered that newspaper ad and they offered me a position, I knew it was going to be really tough getting started in the insurance business, as, as it is for most people. I remember seeing my brother struggle for for a few years, or for at least a year or so, you know, until renewals and things of that nature got built, built up. You know, fortunately for me, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities at, at that time uh, in, my, in the early years of my career. And so I would say it was probably, you know, within a, within a, about the first year when things started clicking for me, Tucker, that's when I decided, hey, this is something that I know I can do. I can be successful at it. And that's when I decided to, to stay in the business and make a career of it. Do you have a, a particularly memorable, um, crazy or bizarre, like, war story? Or whether it's uh, from your time as an agent or, or even just something crazy that happened in the home office? Oh, I don't know if I necessarily have any war stories or, or crazy 
Um, not, not that I can recall right now, Tucker. In your mind, who's the most successful person you know and why? Now, the most successful person that I know uh, in the insurance business would, would be the founder of our company, Greg Zahn. Uh, he, when he moved to Oklahoma in 2004, he knew no one uh, here in the, in, really in the state of Oklahoma. I mean, he knew some names and things of that nature. But when he built this company, when he moved to Oklahoma, it was actually, uh, he knew he was, he, I'm back up here. Uh, he knew that he was going to be forming a new financial holding company. He just didn't know where. And he had an acquaintance that lived in another state who said, hey, have you ever looked at Oklahoma? And he had said, no, I, I have no interest in there. The only time I ever been to Oklahoma was driving through with my family, and there was a tornado, and there ain't no way I'd ever get my wife to move to Oklahoma. Well, but he, so he decided to go ahead and put it on his list of states uh, to, to visit with and, and meet with uh, the regulators in some of these states. And the, the more that he looked into it, he decided that, okay, Oklahoma is where he wanted to go. So he moved to Oklahoma, really not knowing uh, anybody. Uh, he then traveled throughout the state of Oklahoma uh, to first initially place a, a board of directors uh, here in the state with the idea of uh, board of directors being spread out geographically and economically uh, throughout the state of Oklahoma. And then once that, that was in place and they incorporated First Trinity Financial, our parent company, uh, they then started the capitalization phase of First Trinity Financial. And that all started in 2005, the capitalization phase. The, so at that time, in the middle of 2005, the company had really no assets, uh, nothing to speak of. We are now uh, in the middle of 2017, so just 12 years later. Uh, he's grown it to over a third of a billion in assets. Uh, we own two life insurance companies. Uh, we've got about 40,000 policyholders, 1,700 agents, and 4,000 shareholders, and, and we're marketing products in 26 states. So for somebody to be able to take it from nothing to a third of a billion in such a highly competitive industry with a small startup life insurance company, I, I see that as being a successful individual. Yeah, and that's amazing. And, and I guess when we look at it, I mean, you guys don't even do business in all 50 states. And so to be um, so big and so small at the same time, it it's amazing. Yeah, it, it truly is. And what the interesting thing about it, Tucker, is, is with our business model and, and relationships that we've built up over the years, the insurance business is so highly regulated. We've got to make sure we do not grow too fast as crazy as that might sound. You know, a lot of people in, the, in, in various businesses say, well, you know, like the lumberyard example that we mentioned earlier, if you want to grow your lumber business and you want to sell more lumber, well, you've got to buy more lumber to put into the inventory and out the door. Insurance companies are different. You know, we're, we're so highly regulated and, and with the, um, financial ratios and things of that nature with all the various departments of insurances, each one of them have different regulations. You have your NAIC. Um, reserves. Um, there's a, a new regulation that comes that got started in 2017 that 
um, is fully implemented by the year 2020 called principle-based reserve requirements, which put extra regulations on insurance companies that in 2016, uh, we intentionally had to slow down production. In 2017, we are going to have to intentionally slow down production um, to make sure that we do not grow too fast. Sounds like a good problem to have, kind of. You're you're exactly right. It is. You know, uh, a week ago, yesterday, we had our annual shareholder meeting, and when I was giving the the presentation to our shareholders of how much growth we've had in the assets and in the uh, value of the company, and you know, just showing my charts and things of that nature, and when I was showing them the premium growth that we've had year over year over year, um, you know, we had mentioned to them that and showed them, hey, in 2016, we intentionally had to put the brakes on production, and 17, we're going to have to be doing the same. And, and that's what I explained to them. I said, you know, I want to thank the board of directors and, and executive management of our life insurance companies and holding company because they've created a good problem, just like you had indicated. You know, a lot of other companies of our nature are wondering, well, where are they going to, you know, where's their next production going to come from? We don't have that problem. So, just in in listening to you talk, you have such a, a high level view of all of this. Um, how much of that came from you know what you learned in college, and how much of that has just come through what you've learned through experience? Um, I would say a hundred percent of it is just came through experience. You know, there's the old saying: if you want to get measles, you got to get exposed. And for me, it's it's. I think that's where I've kind of been blessed, Tucker, is because I've had the opportunity to be out in the sales field. I've had the opportunity to, uh, you know, working then in the home office after being an agent. Uh, I have the opportunity to uh, review our everything from the claims. I have the opportunity for the shareholder relations. I have the opportunity uh, for product development, advertising building the relationships. And so using your expression earlier, you know, kind of getting thrown into the fire, um, that's where it all came from, uh, my knowledge of the insurance business. That, yes, uh, a college degree, you know, got me the interview. Um, but once that you get to work in the actual industry, I think in most industries you probably use use very little. Uh, in the real world, at least in the business industry. Sure. Um, You've been to our our conferences before, and we have this nice little U-shape of of agents, and we go around and introduce ourselves. And then we go around on a round two, and we we ask them, you know, what are you passionate about? And we get all these answers like, I'm passionate about helping people, and I'm passionate about selling insurance and things like that. And and we say, okay, that's all fine and good. Um, Once you've hit your goal, once you're done with work, what are you passionate about? What do you enjoy doing? So, Alvin, what are you passionate about besides work and insurance? I'm, I'm passionate about hopefully one of these days being able to relax. Um, you know, we talked about earlier that people in our business, they don't they don't retire. They just golf and fish more. And, you know, during my during my working years, what I'm passionate about is to try to make it easier for eight, for people to want to do business with our company. And, and that keeps you busy because there's always new challenges. And so at the end of the day and on the weekend, uh, I like to just kind of shut down and, and do as little as possible. And I'm looking forward to one of these days of just being able to bury my feet in the sand 
and uh, sit on the beach and, and maybe have a Corona. You uh, you hang out with a poor example, though. Um, I look I, I and one of the things I was thinking of, Alvin, when you're talking about Greg, um, Greg is the only president of any company I do business with that has been to one of my seminars personally. I've had you know several vice presidents, but you and Greg came, and, and of course, you know, being on trips with you guys is just awesome because we get to you know meet you guys on on a one on one basis. We we meet your wives, and, and it's just a, a great a great. Um, experience, but you know, I, I when you were talking about that, I think of Sherm. How old Sherm is he? 80, 80 plus. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's approaching eighty, I think, upper, so, upper seventies almost. But yeah. So there's a guy finan- there's there's a guy financially that could have retired ten times over. Oh. Uh, Greg Greg is my age. He's I think he's fifty six or fifty seven somewhere in there. Again, financially, he could walk away at any time. And these guys are driving harder today than they probably were even 10 years ago. It's just rewarding to me to watch the passion that they have, and it's kind of rubbed off on you too. So, you know, I I think you have to find a different crowd to run with if you want to retire at some point in time because I think you're stuck. (laughs) Well, one one of our board of directors was a successful president of a life insurance company in Canada. And I'm not going to divulge his age, but he retired in in the mid-'80s and moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. Him and his wife actually now uh, own a very successful business. Um, It's a type of business that they sell memberships to, that if somebody gets sick anywhere in the world, uh, they will send a jet to pick up that member and then fly them back home to their local doctors. And his advice is, is to never fully retire. Yeah, I, I read an article about that a while back. Uh, they were talking to people that are <clears> – <throat> they interviewed several thousand octogenarians, and they said, how do you get – you know, how do you get to 100 years of age? And, and one of the common denominators was they said, don't ever retire. Don't stop doing something. You know, that, that's when people die. Yeah, and, and a lot of his acquaintances at the, at the clubhouse that they have coffee with it is – at his golf course in the mornings, they, they often comment to him that they're jealous of him because he has a place to go to when they're done drinking coffee. Sure. And the other guys, you know, they'll maybe go hit the golf ball around a little bit or go home. And, you know, and like in the little small farming communities where we're from, Jim, you know, how many of those individuals, they retire from farming, they move to town, what we call the, the sidewalk farmers, and uh, they do that for a couple of years, and next thing you know, they're in the nursing home or, or have died. Right. And, you know, those individuals, they worked so hard all the time farming and raising their family and trying to provide a good lifestyle for their family. And they never had the opportunity to develop hobbies over the years. And then when they retired, they don't know what to do with themselves. It's very true. So uh, for you, what does goal setting look like for you personally? Well... On an individual basis, goal setting, I always use the uh, algorithm of SMART, uh, specific, measurable, achievable, realistically, and and it's got to be in a a timely manner. And that is one area that uh, I I need to strive better is uh, setting goals for myself, whether it be personally uh, or business-wise. Unfortunately, in in business-wise, sometimes it seems that you do as much reacting uh, as you do as, as being proactive uh, on certain events. Um, but that's that's the analogy that I like to use for the goals is the, is the word smart. 
And uh, that's one area that I, I need to do a better job in, Tucker. Do you have a, a favorite failure? And by that, I don't mean something that totally derailed you, but something that you can look back and say, wow, I, I kind of messed that up, but I, I'm really glad I did because it led me to, to something better. Oh, I have a lot of those <laughs> probably. I mean, I seems like you almost have those daily and, and you, you do, you, you just try to learn from your past mistakes to, to make things better because you know, they, they always say learn from other people's mistakes, but my experience is it's always been my own that are most memorable. Um, you know, whether it be just from from an agent of having to drive two hours to go back and get a client's signature on an application or something that you had that you had left off. Um, you know, so you, you have those to whether it be uh, as a sales, uh, you know, sales manager, uh, regional. Um, when I was out in the field or a regional district manager or even the director of sales, that, you know, the, the way that you kind of react to individuals underneath certain circumstances is, is that, you know, I used to jump to conclusions, and then now I've learned to take a deep breath, try to get both sides of the story. Let's say, for example, if you have a consumer calling in upset about something, you know, in, instead of jumping to the conclusion that the agent did something wrong, get the agent's side of the story first. Uh, and what my experience and what I've learned over that is, is you, sometimes you take half of each, you, know, you take half of, you, you take what each side's saying and put the two halves together and sometimes you're about a fourth right. Um, but through through experiences, you, you learn as you go, you learn what to expect and, and how, to, how to handle people in, in various situations better. Well, I know, Alvin, one of the things that came to mind when Tucker asked you that question is, is I thought, you know, when you were in Topeka, Kansas, uh, vice president of a uh, up-and-growing company uh, that you actually built yourself, that you actually, you know, uh, went out and, and found the money for it. Uh, your wife had, a, I think, a pretty good job there. You were a couple hours from your families, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, your company got bought out, and the company that bought it kind of tanked it, and, you know, all of a sudden you watch this whole thing, this whole thing crumble, uh, which obviously you had nothing to do with uh, on the negative side of it. I mean, you were doing a great job uh, of doing your job, and all of a sudden, you know, the whole thing implodes on you. You might talk about that a little bit to, for our listeners. Well, yeah, thank, thank you for, for recognizing that, Jim, because, yeah, there, there's, there's always going to be, you know, some struggles um, to various degrees. But as you're indicating, and, and as I mentioned earlier, I in the in this podcast as well that in a short time frame I went through three ownerships of our life insurance companies and five different presidents and knock on wood every time though I I had been blessed from that any time that one of those changes occurred it seemed like I actually ended up in a better position and you heard me make the comment about uh, the book, Who Moved My Cheese? And, and for those who haven't ever read that book, I, I strongly suggest picking up a copy of it. It's a very short, easy read. Um, but it's basically it boils down to uh, when things happen to you, are you, are you going to be prepared? Are you going to look for the next opportunity? Or are you going to dwell on it and let you bring you down? Reminds me of the old saying, it's not how far you fall, it's how high you bounce. And that's what people were going to remember sure. is, is what did what did you do when diversity uh, appeared? How did you handle it? And did you make yourself stronger and better? 
I usually save this question for a little bit later, but since you mentioned the book, uh, do you have any other books uh, that you find yourself recommending to other people or gifting or, or reading over and over again? In the, the book that helped my career better than anything, Tucker, that actually probably saved my sales career, and uh, if it wasn't for this book, you and I probably wouldn't even be having this conversation today, but it was a book by a gentleman by the name of Frank Betker, and it was titled How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Sales. And if, if there's one book that I suggest that any insurance sales individual ever reads, it would be that book. Absolutely. It's it's not the first time it's been mentioned on here either. And the, the, the chapter on enthusiasm is something that helped me a whole lot. Yeah. Do you remember when, when that book was written, Alvin? Do you remember what period or what? What years? Uh, I believe it was back in the 30s or so. Yep. I, I mean, I'm going to say 20, 20s and, or 30s, yeah. And that's what's intriguing is the, the principles that are in that book are so relevant today. You know, to me, it's almost like the Bible. You know, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, uh, and it's still very relevant today. And, and Frank Betcher's information uh, and the struggles he went through, what was unique is, is basically it's, he lived it. I mean, he was very successful or rather successful. I mean, he was a professional baseball player. Uh, and then goes into the insurance business and is starving to death. And so, yeah, it, it's a great book, and there's great principles in it. Yeah, you can, you can learn a lot from, from just in life in general or to any type of sales insurance or not. Agreed. Uh, now, you've been very successful. Like you said, you keep landing in, in better positions. Um, and then your success at, at Trinity and, and Family Benefit um, – do you still have the elation, or is it just expected to, to be successful now? No, it's definitely, at least on a personal level, it's not expected to be successful. Um, you know, we go through different we go through different challenges every day as a, as a company, and in, in especially I myself in in our position because there, there's always fires to put out. Uh, you're always working with a lot of different service providers in this type of industry. They have challenges that affect you and and your marketing of products. And there's, it's, in, in my opinion, as soon as you think that you're going to be successful, then watch out because something's <laughs> going to happen. That's so true. Very true. Yep. Um, how do you ask questions? And that's that's a really broad question, but... Um, I, I just find um, that there's an art to asking good questions and to uh, maybe elicit the, the answer that you're looking for. So how do you uh, ask questions in your business? Well, the first thing is, is now are you referring to if I'm having a conversation with somebody? However you want to take it. And Okay, well, the first thing is, is if I'm having the conversation with them, understand what the individual is saying. So you can make an so you can ask an, an intelligent question. Um, but a, a lot of it, yeah. I mean, that's that's a tough question for me, Tucker. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, I I can kind of answer that. I, um, you know, one of the things that I appreciate, uh, and Tucker brought it up earlier, Alvin, with with you being in the field, Greg being in the field, uh, your company is run from that perspective. And I've dealt with many home office personnel where uh, they don't look highly on the sales field, even though we're the ones that are writing their paycheck for them. 
they make a lot of assumptions. And one of the things that you don't do, uh, and knowing uh, what goes on in the field, you don't make those assumptions even uh, when there's a problem you know, with the agent. I think you said it earlier, is I'm going to get both sides of the story. I'm going to analyze thing, these things out. And when I visit with you on the phone, Alvin, whether it's just a, a conversation or a problem, you're very patient to let things play out and then make your decisions. Well, thank you for that, because I've always viewed our sales force as the sales force is our client, and the consumer is the sales force's client. What What is um, one piece of advice um, or one recommendation in in our industry that you think is wrong but popular? I don't know if, if I'm making sense here, but um, what's one thing that you hear a lot of uh, companies either saying or promising um, that you think just is wrong? Advanced commissions. <laughs> um, well, yeah, you, you do. You see a lot of companies um, making some interesting changes in this industry. And what often happens is, is if a few companies start to do it, then you have to adopt that as well. Whether you, whether you think it's the right thing to do or not, um, and your dad will attest to this, I've learned the hard way, Tucker, in this industry, you don't want to be the only company doing something. Yeah. And no, we'll, in we'll my opinion, especially in, especially in the final expense business, in, in my opinion, uh, I believe that the final expense product should be still marketed on a unismoker basis. And the reason that I, I say that is, is back in, in 2000, 2001, when we were developing our final expense product, back then most final expense policies were all priced on a unismoker basis. And then maybe around 2004, 2005, somewhere, and there are some companies that decided, you know, if we start offering this on a tobacco distinct basis, we can charge the non-tobacco a lower premium and, you know, try to gain some of the non-tobacco market share there. And so several companies started to do that, and we actually ended up probably being about the last or one of the last final expense businesses or companies to go from Unismoker to tobacco distinct. But the reason why, in my opinion, that, that is an error in the industry is is a lot of the individuals in, in this age bracket, they had smoked for 40, 50 years. They quit a year and a half ago. Well, the damage is done, and but now they're getting the, the same rate as somebody who's never smoked. Mm, true. And if you take, for example, some of these older individuals and some of the lifestyles they live, I would just assume they keep smoking, so that way they have more to enjoy in life. The damage, if the damage is already done, and it's done, you're um, right. So, so that's an example, you know. And, and some of the technology uh, that a lot of companies are adopting, time will tell. Uh, some of it, in my opinion, um, I don't know if necessarily was the right direction for companies to go to. And I'll give an example of that: prescription checks. Um, that's an example that I am referring to that a lot of company, you know, a lot of companies started to adopt. Well, it's one that I'm not necessarily a favor of because so many prescriptions are still are dual purpose medications. 
A lot of the individuals still do not show up in uh, pharmacy benefit groups. And, but at the same time in point, we have to be run prescription checks because our competitors do. If we didn't, agents would find out. We have a lot of Aricep clients um, because we didn't do prescription checks, uh, as an example. So, you know, those, so the, the tobacco is an example of, of, in my opinion, that something shouldn't have been changed. The prescription check, time will tell um, if that was, a, was good for the industry or not. Uh, I think a lot of companies had the idea that maybe it would help with rescinded rates, it would help um, with the mortality. Uh, so far, from what I can tell, based on our numbers in the last three years compared to what we used to be prior to that, yeah, I, as of now, I'm just seeing it cost us an extra 10 to 15 bucks per application. If, um, if now we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, so ideally when you're 80 or 90 and you're old and gray, you're not really retired, but, um, if you could go to that future and, uh, you were laid back with your feet in the sand, um, what advice do you think you would give yourself now? If I'm 80 or 90 and my feet are in the sand, I would say do it all over again. Good job. <laughs> I like that. What do you um, What do you wish more agents knew from your uh, perspective now? Um, what's something that you could uh, tell agents um, that they could do a better job at? Well. Some of it could be, you know, just making sure that you do things right the first time. You know, don't don't take shortcuts. Um, if you're going to do it, do it right, or just don't do it at all. Uh, eventually, those shortcuts will become habits, and eventually, those habits will cause your hand to get slapped. Um, you know, whether whether it be not filling out a particular form. Uh, when it should be done, um, just w once that you try to do something as a shortcut, it becomes easier to do it the second time and the third time and the fourth time, and, and then it becomes habit. Um, so that would be one advice. Don't take shortcuts. Number two, when you're choosing to do business with the company, make sure that you're looking at the overall picture. Um, make sure that you're looking at what's going to be best for you and your client down the road as well as, as just today. Um, you know, that's where, that's where you guys have heard me uh, mention a lot of times that different companies have different commission schedules, but look at the overall compensation package. Look at the tools that that company provides to help you keep your clients' businesses or your policies in force, because that's where you're going to make your ultimate money. Um, I think a lot of times an agent maybe just looks at the first-year commission schedule, and, and that's, what they, that's what they go with. But they've never taken the time to dig a little bit deeper into the numbers and to see where they and their families are going to be better off. Sure. I, I can remember um, one year uh, Vach went back and, and did just that with all of our companies and kind of presented to us, uh, you know, what it would look like on uh, maybe a 10-year cycle as to what a policy would would pay you, and I think you guys were number two. I think Colombian was the only one that that had a better, uh, but they've changed things a lot since then. I think that was maybe five years ago. So, 
Um, I don't well, know if that's still the case. And, and the, the step to even take further than that, Tucker, would be is does that, how does that company time the client's premium payments? Because the majority of this income, by far, they live on disability income or Social Security income. And as we know, the government only pays them five times a month, first of the month, third of the month, second, third, and fourth Wednesday of the month. Not too often, but the Wednesdays fall on holidays. The first and third fall on a lot of weekends, and they're notorious for getting involved on New Year's, July 4th, and Labor Day weekend. And as we know, when that happens, the government pays them ahead of time. So there are a few companies out there, uh, and hopefully for the agents, there'll be more down the road. Um, but there are a few companies like us out there that when the government pays the client ahead of time, uh, we draft their clients bank account ahead of time to match the day when the government paid them because the majority of final expense consumers, they're good people. They want need the product. They're just not good with money, and, and that's the reason why they're in the situation in their lives needing to buy these types of products. And you guys have heard me say many a time, we all know um, that they know when they get paid, they walk down to the ATM and they pull it all out but five bucks in cash, and then the company comes and drafts a couple of days late, and the money's gone. The agent gets a charge back, a commission. Now the company and agent wish they never would have heard of that company. So, you know, in addition to not only taking a look at the, the first year and the renewal levels and, and lead bonuses and trips and other incentive-type programs, but the, looking, at, looking at in depth at your actual persistency rate with the various companies, because 100% commission – on a policy that stays on the books for a year is worth a lot more than 130% that falls off in two months. Sure. And that, and that's huge. And you're, you're so right. And the, the clients will tell you too, you know, I, I want this, I need this. Uh, you better hit my card when you say you're going to do it or else I'm going to clean it off, you know? And so it's not even us trying to, you know, um, take it from them in a bad way. You know, they're, they're asking you to do exactly what you said. So it's very valuable. Hey, Alvin, one of the things that you just mentioned there, um, was trips and incentives. You might talk or talk with our listeners a little bit about some of the trips we've been on. Cause I know some of those memorable trips and I've done this, Alvin, I've been in business for 29 years and I've been on a lot of trips. Um, you might, uh, talk about, some of the trips we've been on and how unique your trips are. And one of the things that I will mention is is the ability to um, spend time with the president of the company on a one-on-one basis if you choose to. Uh, you don't have to, but uh, you can. And, and I've been on many, many trips with many companies, and I've never even – I don't even know if the president's there. If he is, he's not on the beach with me uh, or hanging out, uh, you know, in the restaurants or, or doing the things that we're doing. So talk about some of the incentive trips that, that you've been on. Uh, with Trinity and how, how rewarding they are for the agents? Well, the way that we look at our agent incentive trips is, is it's it's your trip. You've earned it. Uh, the president and I and, and some of the other office staff that have the opportunity to attend from time to time, uh, we're thankful for you guys because if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be able to, uh, to have a trip to attend either. Um, so our agent sales incentive trips, we usually try to make them e- either a little easier to qualify than some of our competitors or a lot higher caliber. Uh, to give you kind of an idea of, of some of the trips that we've been on uh, in the last few years, I think in 2015 we did a Mediterranean cruise uh, for the agent and their guest. Uh, we flew them to Barcelona, uh, got on uh, 
uh, cruise and went to the island or the countries of Italy, France, and Spain. Um, probably one of the one of the better trips that I've ever been on. Uh, here in about a month, we're going on, um, or I guess uh, in 2016, we went to Turks and Caicos, um, the beaches resort, uh, all inclusive. A lot of our trips, if we're going somewhere uh, to a beach, we like to do all-inclusive, so that way the agent doesn't have to worry about getting nickeled and dimed every time they, they turn around or having to pay $150 for two people for a buffet breakfast. Uh, and if anybody's never been to a beaches resort, I strongly encourage it. It'll be one of the best uh, vacations that you've ever taken your family on. Here in another month, we're going, we're going on an Alaskan cruise. Um, and, for example, on our cruises, when our entry level is a minimum uh, stateroom with a balcony. So our agents, they're not on cruises put on a, uh, I'd say small cabin, but none of them are, are really large. Um, but they're not put on a cabin at the bottom of the ship where they don't see daylight. And I think you were going to say something about Beach's trip, Jim. Oh, I just said that was it was a great trip. I mean, that was a very rewarding experience and, and uh other than it was a lot of, it was huge i mean uh, what i think one of the funnest trips or uh, was the dreams resort we went to in cabo because it was very close um you got to interact a lot with the home office personnel the agents um you know the turks and caicos is a beautiful resort but good night i don't know how many acres that place covered and how many pools they had but uh, yeah it was an exercise yeah, the, the Dreams was a nice place, and yes, the beach is, was also nice. But, you know, basically it has, uh, I think, four resorts in one. There was 18 uh, dining options, and all the restaurants are extremely, extremely good there, as well as, well as the Dreams Resort uh, had very good food um, for the all-inclusives. And the other thing that I mentioned about our agent sales incentive trips is is that you, normally the first night that everybody's there, we have a welcome reception. And then we'll normally have a president's dinner one evening, and that's it. Because, um, again, we, we look at this as it's your vacation. You've earned it. So the last thing we want to do is have you sit in meetings for three or four hours for three or four days and your spouse wondering, when, when are you going to get out of that meeting? You know, let's go have some fun. We're at, a, we're at a beautiful location having a good time, and you're in meetings the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. We had um, we've had Logan and Ryan Schellenberger both on this call. And, and uh, of course, Logan was in the business first. And uh, Ryan was kind of sitting back, just kind of watching and listening. And, and on their first incentive trip, they went and he goes, now, now just let me get this right. You and your wife went. They paid your airline tickets and, and, and the resort fees, and, and they paid for all your meals and, and everything. And he goes, how much did it cost you? And he goes, nothing. He goes, no, 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 no. How much did you guys spend? He goes, not a dime. If we hadn't have bought souvenirs for our children, we would not have spent a dime on his trip. And so that's one of the things that agents need to understand is when you work hard in this business, the rewards, the financial rewards are amazing, for one thing, but the incentive rewards and, and the time we get to spend at these resorts. And like you said, we're not just going to a state of Super 8. I mean, these things are five-star resorts, and um, an agent can actually go on that with a, a spouse or a significant other and spend $0 if they choose to. And uh, the trip the agents are qualifying for now, um, which will be in April of 2018, is at the Grand Hyatt Resort in Kauai, Hawaii. I had the opportunity to go there about a month ago for a site inspection trip, meet their staff, and and work on some details and getting things planned. And if there's, if if somebody's wanting a, a nice place to go to, that is definitely going to be it. We've been there. It's beautiful. That's a tough job you have. It was that week. That's for sure. Other than the flight, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but it's not too bad. Other than these awesome trips, is there um, an experience that you believe everyone should try at least once? Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that, Tucker. Gambling with Vach? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's um, gambling with Craig Miller. Oh, you haven't done, you haven't gambled with Craig Miller yet, have you? That's uh, that, that's an experience. And as, as many times as I'm with. Darren Holovach, uh, we've been to a casino a couple times before, um, but I'm, I'm not much of the gambler, so I leave that up to him. And, uh, we usually don't spend too much time there, but, you know, I mean, and, but getting back to these agent sales incentive trips, you know, for, for an agent, if they've never been on one, uh, they're definitely missing out. And some of the excursions that you go, have the opportunity to go on uh, on some of these uh, trips are amazing. Like, for example, the, when we were just in Hawaii here about a month ago, um, and, and please keep in mind, I'm afraid of heights. Um, but one of the best ways to, to see that island is a helicopter ride. And you have the opportunity to either have doors on or doors off your helicopter. And again, I'm afraid of heights, but uh, I did choose it. I mustered up a little testicular fortitude and uh, chose doors off, and uh, very glad, very glad that we did. And uh, when we go back next year, I'm, I'm going to do the same. It's, it's, it was yeah, great we, experience. We took we had doors on when we took it, but it was something it was something to experience. How old, Tucker? How old were you when we did that? You weren't very old. Uh, maybe five or seven. Yeah, I, it's, yeah it's it was one of those deals that my daughter Maddie talks nonstop. And when we slapped the headphones on her, she was yammering away. And as soon as we pulled up in the air and she got above the island, it was she was in awe of the views that we had. And of course, a lot of people don't realize that's where they filmed Jurassic Park. Those those big you know canyons and valleys that you see in Jurassic Park are on the island of Kauai. Yeah, the Waimea Canyon and that the uh, I can't, the Nepali coastline and all that through there. It's something to see. So uh, we learned that you typically only have coffee in the morning. Do you have any uh, other specific morning rituals um, that you do every day? Just try to get out the door, hurrying to get to the office. What time do you usually get up? I usually get up about 6.40. leave the house at about 7.20, 7.25. We've got about a 25-minute drive to the office. So get to the office about a quarter to eight. Okay. How about uh, like evening or before bed? Do you have any rituals that you do before you shut the light off? Um, no, not really, Tucker. You know, every every day is kind of different, and a lot of days it kind of depends upon what time I get out of the office. And um, you know, some days it's from the office just climbing into bed, and then other days it'll be having dinner with my wife and and maybe a glass of wine on the patio and watch a little bit of. Jimmy Fallon, and then turn TV off and go to bed. When do you read, Alvin? You mentioned that you read, and it's intriguing to me as a lot of successful people that, that we have talked on this podcast don't read. Uh, so when do you find time well, to read, or make when do you make well, time to read? Yeah, that, that is it. I wish I had more time to read. Um, you know, it goes back to who motivates the motivators. Mm-hmm. And where I find that is is a lot of – a lot of the motivating people, that's how they get motivated is by reading, whether it be the Frank Bedkers or the Dale Carnegie's or the Stephen Covey's. And uh, I wish I had more time to read because um, kind of like you indicate with your other 
uh, individuals you interviewed that uh, it sounds like they too wish they had more time to read. True. So, so a lot of times it'll you know maybe just in the in the evening, um, maybe before bed, uh, or if I'm traveling on an airplane, um, on a vacation, I usually try to bring a book, try to get something read. Then also. Now you've had a lot of good uh, good ones throughout. Uh, our conversation here, but do you have any other quotes or sayings or mantras that you keep around as a, a constant reminder? Oh, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Um, that, that's one. Another one that I often say is, is plan for the worst, but hope and do your best. Um, those, are, those are probably two um, that, that I think carry a lot of weight. Cool. What uh, what's one to two things that people could do or change in their life in the next week or two that would have a drastic impact on their lives? Well, they're saying that if you do anything for 21 days in a row, it becomes habit. And so, if you have, you know, if, if your listeners there, you know, if there's anything that they wish that they could change um, about themselves or how they do things, then just do something, regardless of how small it is, do something to help improve that everyone for, for 21 days until it becomes habit. You know, as we had talked about earlier, um, often people will, will try to do shortcuts in different things, and unfortunately sometimes those shortcuts become habits. Well, habits can be good as well as bad. And if you're looking at improving yourself in a certain area, then, again, just do something a little bit every day to help you accomplish whatever that goal that you're wanting to to try to accomplish, and if you can put 21 X's for 21 days on your calendar, uh, I truly believe they will see an improvement. Do you have any uh, other websites or podcasts or uh, resources that you check on on a daily or weekly basis to kind of keep you motivated or grounded? Oh, I mean... Personal-wise, it's probably like Yahoo Finance, things of that nature, um, just to kind of see how, how things are going. But um, for, for business purposes, no, um, I, I don't, Tucker. You know, sometimes I think uh, – I, I know that there's agent insurance forms and things out there. Uh, I intentionally stay away from those. The way that I see those is it's kind of like TripAdvisor. The individuals who are making comments out there are people who either love something about a particular company or they hate it or otherwise, um, you know, the, the average person doesn't make comments out there. Yeah. And, um, and for some of the individuals who do complain uh, about a lot of things, it's almost like, well, if they would spend as much time actually being productive instead of spending so much time complaining about it on something they can't fix, then they probably wouldn't have that problem to begin with. Very true. I've got uh, one more question I want to leave for the end, but uh, I sure want to thank you for your time, for being on here with us. Uh, do you have any other, um, anything else you want to relate to the to the listeners, to the agents out there? Where can they find you, more about you and, and uh, Trinity or Family Benefit? Well, thank you for that, Tucker. Yeah. Um, my email address is one of the best ways to get a hold of me, and my email address is my first initial and last name. Uh, unfortunately, with my last name, <laughs> I will spell it, uh, but my first initial would be A, and then my last name was B as in basketball, E-G, 
N is in November, O, C is in Charlie, H, E as in Echo, at trinitylifeinsurance.com. My toll-free number is 866-211-0811. And you can always check our companies out at trinitylifeinsurance.com. And our other website is familybenefitlifeinsurance.com. And I'd like to say, uh, Tucker and Jim, thank you both for giving me the opportunity to visit with you and, and your listeners today. I've always appreciated our relationship that I've had with both of you uh, and your sales force. And that means a lot to me that you've uh, given me the opportunity and asked me to participate. So thank you. We certainly appreciate you too, Alvin, and all you do for my organization. Before we go, uh, what would you like for your personal legacy to be? For people to say that he always, he always did the right thing at the right time when he could. That's awesome. Thanks again for the time, and uh, we'll catch up with you hopefully in uh, in Hawaii. I'm looking forward to it. Thank okay. you, gentlemen. Thanks, Alex. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Yep. Bye. Stop by oneanddonetraining.com. That's the number one, A-N-D-D-O-N-E, training.com. There, you'll find our blog, media library, and ongoing training to help with your final expense career. Thanks. We'll see you there.